0: a decrease in estrogens will mess with your attention span. We already know that. And we also know that for a woman who is having active cycles, her estrogen levels will rise and fall during that cycle. And now we know that there are some women who have paid attention and now know that at some point in their cycles, like going towards the the periods, that their attention span is lower and they're actually irritable. So, it stands to reason that if you have ADHD, and, which already, you know, messes with your attention, and you have cycles, you will probably want to schedule your appointments according to how your attention is going to be.
1: Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, share yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD, and that's exactly why I started this podcast ADHD for Smart Ass Women. I'm your host Tracy Atsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain Is AOK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am your host, Tracy Outsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for episode number 173 of ADHD for Smartass Women. I hope that you'll subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter over at TracyOtsuka.com. My purpose is always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. In the thousands of ADHD women that I've had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something. Not one. And so for all of these reasons, I am delighted to introduce you to Dr. Grace Asan. Dr. Grace Asan is a pediatrician in Evansville, Indiana. She is Nigerian-American, born in Lagos, Nigeria, where she received her medical degree from the College of Medicine, University of Lagos. She completed her pediatrics residency training at the Bronx-Lebanon Hospital Center in the Bronx, New York City. She is board certified in pediatrics. She specializes in the treatment of infants, children, and adolescents at all stages of their growth and development, with an emphasis on ADHD, anxiety, depression, and oppositional defiant disorder. She has been in medical practice for over 20 years. Dr. Ahsan is happily married and is the mother of two beautiful children and her pet, Chihuahua. Grace, did I get all of that right? Yes, you absolutely did. You did get it all right. So I have to ask you, what's your pet chihuahua's name? (laughs) His name is Rudy. Rudy. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I, I love like people names for dogs. I don't know why that is, but I always have. So before we talk about anything else, I always love to start with the ADHD diagnosis story. So could we start there? Yeah, absolutely. But first, I want to I want to do a
0: couple of things first. I want to thank you okay. very, very, very much for this podcast because when I found it, I was like, "Oh my gosh. I did not know there were so many of us out there, you know, doing all kinds of interesting things." So, thank you so much. And then I also want to thank you for inviting me on to talk about my favorite topic, ADHD. <laughs>
1: Well, I'm just delighted. And, you know, it means a lot to me, especially coming from a doctor. So thank you for <laughs> so for being so kind because, you know, we all, well, the gold stars thing, right? We all want to know when our work is making a difference in other people's lives. And I can't hear it enough. So thank you, Grace. Oh, you're welcome. All right. So you wanted to know about my ADHD diagnosis. So,
0: um Here well, the is story, a-
1: like, you know.
0: the story. So, okay. So here's, here's what happened. I was sitting down, um, minding my business and a friend of mine came over, actually we went, my husband and I went to visit a friend and, uh, she was, um, having some issues with her then boyfriend and the problems were to do with, um, forgetfulness and inattention and stuff. And I just thought to myself, I wonder if she has adult ADHD. So, and I'd never, ever, um, you know, evaluated an adult for ADHD before. So I went on my phone, found the, um, the online adult ADHD thing. We printed it out, gave her one, told her we were sitting there drinking wine and, and eating um, crackers. And I said, Okay, you fill this out. So while she's filling that out, I'm sitting there looking through the checklist and checklist, and then the questions go. And then I'm like, Yes, for me, yes, for me, yes, for me, yes, for me. <laughs> I'm like, What? <laughs> So I'm reading through the whole thing and is yes for me for most of the answers there. Do I have trouble initiating stuff? Do I have trouble wrapping stuff up once I start? Do And I was like, do I have trouble getting to places on time? Oh, yes, absolutely. So I was like, oh, my gosh, that means I do have ADHD. So I finished her evaluation and it turned out that she did have ADHD, sent her off to her doctor and then took mine, filled mine out and then went off to my doctor. To go have a talk. And that's essentially how I got diagnosed. And I'm talking, this was probably in 2010 or 2011. So, yeah, that's my ADHD story.
1: That is crazy. So, you knew what ADHD was, at least generally, but was it that you had no idea how it showed up in women, or you really had never put your symptoms? in this category that there was something that, you know, this wasn't normal behavior.
0: Okay, so let's start start here and say, I didn't even think that I had symptoms. Let's start from there. I just, I was just living my best life. Living my best life, going late to places. <laughs> not being, not, you know, just, just, just living life by the seat, you know, flying by the seat of my pants, you know, constantly like in a world movement. Did not look at those things as symptoms. And I think mostly because I was able to walk around stuff. And so there weren't symptoms to me. And here's the crazy thing. I was taking care of kids and diagnosing kids in my office with ADHD, their inattention, their impulsivity, their hyperactivity. But I never, ever like turned that mirror on myself until I was
1: sitting down doing that evaluation of my friend. Wow. Okay. So when you're talking about um the evaluation was this just a diagnostic checklist that was on attitude you know's website or wh- what specifically are you talking about I, I,
0: That's what I'm talking about it's called the adult self reporting um, the adult A S R S yes adult self reporting um, screen or skill Okay yes. so that was what I used because I think that's pretty much that and then um the history the history of how how have you been as a child Mm -hmm. And so when I turned that mirror on myself, then
1: I was like, oh, oh, (laughs) oh, so so that was my next question. (laughs) Once you knew it was ADHD and you had the benefit of hindsight, what are some of the symptoms that you always wondered about, but now you recognize them as clearly ADHD, whether we're talking about childhood or adulthood? Okay.
0: So like I said, I didn't even think that any of these things were symptoms. Um, I grew up in Lagos, Nigeria, and it was te- you know you went to parties fashionably late. You you never went if the party was at four, you never turned up until five. It was just a thing. Nobody you know nobody would sweat you for coming in late. Now moving to the United States and living in the United States, well, you can't come one hour late to a function, and I just couldn't wrap my mind around it. I just kind of thought that it was just because of how I grew up, the culture in which I grew up and it was not a big, you know, and so I would, you know, try and do other things um, to make sure that I wasn't late to places, but like time blindness. Oh yeah. That's a thing for me. Once I get going doing something that I really like, then I totally forget hyper, hyper-focused. Then I totally forget what I, what it was I was supposed to be doing in five minutes. So that definitely was a thing. Procrastination, especially procrastinating on things that I didn't really care for, was a big deal. It was a big deal. My father would call it inertia because he'll be like, I asked you to go do X, Y, Z. And I'm still here 20 minutes later. He's like, you've got inertia. Now, inertia is um, <laughs> a word in physics, which, which is, um, I think, the force that is required to overcome um, to, to get you going. He's like, go, go do what I asked you to do. So stuff like that. So the lateness, the procrastination, the impulsivity, because I, I'll just get a thought in my head and I'll just go do it and not really think anything about it. But I really didn't think that those were a big deal because I guess, because I didn't have any, I didn't get into trouble um, for doing the like, in, like, big trouble for doing things like that, and then the hyper focus of course save, saves me saves my life all the time because once I get focused on stuff, then I, you know it gets done and it gets done in record time and gets done good so those those things i never i never really i never really thought of them as symptoms I, it was just me that was just that was just my life <laughs> chaotic <laughs> uh,
1: well, but the thing about it is. Obviously you're a doctor you must have done well in school. Oh, okay. So let's talk about school. <laughs> okay?
0: <laughs> so school was was interesting. In elementary school and um okay, you all have middle school here. We don't have middle school or well, we didn't have middle school then. We had high school. In elementary school mm-hmm. I was fine. In fact, I was brilliant. Let's let's call it that. Got into um, high school a year earlier than my my contemporaries than my peers. I skipped a class and went into high school. Got into high school. Did well the first couple of years. The last three years of high school, I could not tell you what happened. Um, I I just I, I, bottom just fell out. I became inattentive and could not, like, assignments were missing, got into a lot of trouble um, for not having notes in classes. And once again, did not really think think a thing of it. I really wonder what my parents thought of me at that point in time. I think they probably thought I was just lazy or something. Mm -hmm. Um, Then getting to um, college, um, first year in college, totally bottomed out because I just could not cope. I could not mm-hmm. I just couldn't cope and the the farther it, the farther you fall behind
1: the worse it gets now um can I ask where are you inattentive or are you combined type I'm combined but I'm mostly inattentive okay because I can't
0: I can have like sports of hyperactivity or well let me say when I was younger. I would say I was combined definitely, but now I think I'm mm-hmm. older, so I, I don't have the energy to be jumping <laughs> 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 to be jumping around. So, so now I'm mostly inattentive. Um, but I went through the, the one thing that that really really smacked me in the face was the fact that I went through medical school not having written one note. I could not write any notes to save my life. Yes.
1: What does that even mean? What does it mean that you never wrote a note? <laughs> I could not write
0: a note. I took the notebooks you to, to the class. I don't know about that. I, 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 I somehow, somehow it worked. I don't know how it worked. So I went to class and I would take my notes and things to write in class. And I would start the class out. The first 15 minutes would be great. I'd write down everything that was being said. And then... Nothing after that. It's like I'd be missing words, I'd be missing phrases. Mm. So, and, and I couldn't go. You know, I, you know, at examination time. We used to have our exams like once a year. Examination time. Um, I, I finally figured it out. I figured out the kids who had the best notes, the most complete notes, the most readable notes, and I spent all my pocket money making photocopies of their notes, and then I would read those. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So you basically you took the notes that other students did, and you learned from their notes. I learned from their notes. Yes, I was in the class. Ah.
0: and then the other thing that um, clinicals were kind of um, fun for me because I think those are things that my brain really liked. So anything I heard during okay, the no, rounds. Tell us
1: what a clinical. What's a clinical?
0: All right. Clinicals are, okay. So the first couple of years in medical school, you pretty much are doing like the basic sciences, uh, the pharmacology and all of that, The, the, the like your, your foundation. And then clinicals are when you then actually are going to the hospital and you're seeing patients and they're mm. teaching you around the patients. So you have... Real world, real world medicine. Yes, real world world medicine. So that's the last three years of, of College of Medicine. And I love that because it was hands-on. I could see, I could hear, and anything I heard, I didn't forget. And, you know, they would ask questions. Once again, I did. you know, like I said, I couldn't take notes. I would start taking the notes and they'll be a hot mess. So going back to look through my notes to be able to answer the questions during the next word round would be almost an impossible thing. But because I had heard it, so I guess I'm an auditory learner. So because I'd heard it then i'd be able to like like oh yeah this is what happened and then because i could see it and i could imagine what was what what would be so i could extrapolate and i could come up with answers so i could i did all that but i was a horrible test taker horrible test taker
1: so, i don't believe that how did you get through med school i don't know <laughs> <laughs> again you must be really smart
0: <laughs> but i did I did. Uh Um, It was a struggle. It was a struggle for me because um, when I look back, um, I was tortured and tormented because I could not understand why I was the way I was, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I couldn't understand why I couldn't write notes. And so I felt really bad and felt, you know, I would have lots of negative self-talk. And I remember having a conversation once with my dad. My dad's like, what is going on with you? You're not doing well on your test and stuff like that. And I finally told him, I said, I don't bother studying because I know I'm going to fail anyway. So what's the point? And he was like, That is such a bad attitude. And he gave me <laughs> he, he gave me a talking to, and you know the talking to that was a good pep talk. My dad and I pretty close. Good pep talk. And then so I went back and you know tried. And I think it was because of stuff like that I was able to figure out that okay, I cannot study for examinations if I don't have notes. So let's find figure out the person who has the notes and photocopy their notes and study off of that. By my fourth year in medical school, I figured out that, oh, I hate to sit and sit still and, and study. Like everybody will be studying two months, three months to the examination. I start studying about a month to my examination, but that's where hyperfocus will kick in. Because the amount of, mm-hmm. of, of material that I'd be able to cover in, in, in three weeks would astonish me. But I never, wow. I, I, ne- I didn't know there was a thing called hyperfocus. So I didn't know that that was what it was I was doing. Um, so, yeah. So, and then I also figured out that uh, I liked to do, um, what do you call them? Um, where you, you go with a group of people, studies, um, group studies. Um, what did we call them? So we'd have a group of people. Everybody contributed, and I didn't contribute. I just I didn't contribute to anything. I just listened. I just listened to everybody else talking, and um, I picked up a lot of a lot of um, information that way. Uh, but that's that's pretty much how I went through medical school. I don't even think my parents are aware of this. this is This is the first time I'm actually I'm actually um v- verbalizing all of this.
1: Wow. <laughs> so um, do you struggle to read? Was that hard for you or could you look at the books and you could read? Okay. So it depends on what what we're reading.
0: I'm Mm. absolutely okay reading a whodunit.
1: (laughs) We love those, right? Especially like the murder ones. (laughs) Yes.
0: I'm fine reading those. Now stick a textbook in front of me and I'm going to be asleep in like 10 minutes. So I figure that once again... That if I take that stuff and I I listen to it, driving back and forth or walking up and down in my kitchen, I get more achieved from listening than actually sitting and reading. Or I would have to read in short busts. I know I'm not going to sit still and read for a long, or it it has to be something I'm really interested in. And if it's something I'm really interested in, I lose time. I'll, I'll be there for hours and hours just looking for stuff, looking for this stuff. So it's crazy cuz it's either fist or farming. It's either I'm not doing it or I'm totally doing it.
1: Yeah. And that's us, right? When we're interested, nobody does it better, but when we're not interested, yeah, we just don't care. No, don't care at all. <laughs> so, don't care um, at all. Did you have siblings?
0: I have four brothers. I have four and brothers. And
1: were they any of them like this too? Do you think any of them have ADHD? Um, or just I
0: actually think that we all do to a certain extent. They won't agree with me, mm-hmm. but to a certain mm-hmm. extent, we all do. But they, once again, we're all pretty successful. We've done pretty well uh, for ourselves. Um, one is an IT specialist. Another is a banker. Um, another is a lawyer. Another is a human resource um Uh, Specialist. so we've pretty much done well but the one the one brother of mine that I know for sure for sure and when I talk to him about it he thinks um he thinks he thinks I'm just talking a lot of nonsense um he's the one that I'll be talking to and he's doing three different things at the same time and still listening to me (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm like how are you talking to me and texting on the phone and driving at the same time you can't do all three
1: You've got to well, do down. Well, I have news for them, Grace. You're the doctor, so you win. <laughs> so okay, yeah. Tell me. Tell me about your pediatrics residency training at um at the Bronx uh what is it called? Bronx Lebanon Hospital yeah. Center. Basically Bronx, in the Bronx. Lebanon. Yeah. Yeah. What i did made well. you do this? I I I actually I'm did, sure well, you did Because of ADHD, right? I mean right. just The intensity and, you know, empathy and just like you said, when you're really focused, you're all in. And I'm sorry, but patients know that. Really? (laughs) Don't, Don't you think like they really know when you care? I would think so. I would hope so. Mm-hmm. I would hope so.
0: Um, but yeah, at the Bronx, Lebanon, I even astonished um, some old classmates of mine because I actually made chief. They made me chief resident, much to my surprise. Um, mm-hmm. But for me to be chief, I obviously must have done something good. And so when I told a couple of, of um, friends of, well, old classmates of mine, we met up um, for drinks and um, they said, oh, where are you? And I said, I'm at the Bronx, Lebanon. I'm the chief. And they were like, no you're not (laughs) I'm like yes I am (laughs) so yeah um but I did well and I I think because of the intensity the intensity was great and then it had multiple moving parts and I just loved it I just I just loved the clinicals I loved doing what I was doing um troubleshooting um I just loved it so that wasn't difficult at all
1: so how long is a residency? I I'm not sure. Is it residency
0: three years? residency is 3 years, but because I was chief I spent an
1: extra year. Okay. And so why do you think you were so good at this? Because clearly you were. You wouldn't be chief resident if you weren't outstanding at it. Um I think I was um
0: I think probably I mean several several reasons. Um part of like in all the research that I've been doing now, thanks to you and your podcast, and then I've found other people, is that I've found out that it's not just those three things that we think, that that we've always thought in medicine that are hallmarks of ADHD, um, the impulsivity, inattention, and hyperactivity. There are other things, things like empathy and intuition and um that impulsivity, once again, that impulsivity is actually a thing, and it can be good or bad. But it's been all good for me because, like I said, I haven't gotten into trouble for it yet. But it's that thing that will make you step out of your comfort zone and say, "Hey, um, how about we do this with you? And how about we think about this and and not, you know, be worried that I'm going to get into trouble for, do for speaking up and and saying that." But I think the the empathy, I think ADHDRs are blessed with um being empathetic and intuitive. Um you can walk into a room and pretty much read that room and know who needs a hug and
1: mm-hmm. and
0: know who to avoid because the person is not a nice person.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So yeah. Um so I I think that 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 that's, um plays a, a big, big role.
1: Are yeah. you a uh, challenge to the status quo like you have no qualms about, if you think that if you don't agree with something and everybody's doing it one way, will you be the one that stands up and says, "Nope, I don't think we should do it this way. I think we should do this?
0: Yes yes, and and actually, um, more, as I've gotten older, I have learned that uh, that doesn't always work out very well, and so sometimes I will pull myself back. <laughs> But typically, so I'm, right. but typically um, um, I'm, the, I'm the closet ODD person who's like, uh, yeah, okay, you all want to do that? Fine. Go ahead, do that. I won't be doing that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> totally. Okay. So you're a pediatrician. You sounds like you have this specialty of ADHD for kids. I'm curious, what have you seen from your patient's Specifically, your ADHD girls. Do you have some stories?
0: Um, what I've found out about ADHD girls, I don't really have stories per se. But once I figured out that um, it's it's usually it's really the moms. It's not the girls because the girls will come in. The girls are really difficult to to diagnose. From in my in my opinion, I'm just going to talk about what I have experienced. Um, and the girls are difficult to diagnose because um, they, they, your parents don't bring you to the doctor because you're failing or because you're borderline failing or because there is a mismatch between what your intellectual level is and how you're performing academically. They don't usually come to me for that reason. They come to me for anxiety, depression. And when they come to me for anxiety and depression – Because I know that there's such a big overlap, I start to ask about how they're doing at school. And then when they start telling me that, well, we're not doing that well at school, then I break it down. I'm like, okay, is it the classes that is the problem or is it that you're not turning your homework? And they will tell me both. And I'll be like, why aren't you turning your homework in? Because I forget to do it or because I get it done and I forget to turn it in. I'm like, don't you think that's kind of weird? for you to do all that work and not get any credit for it. And they'll they'll be like, they'll shrug, but they'll be like, they just can't remember to turn it back in. Okay, what's happening in class? Are you daydreaming? Or And some of them will say, yeah, I'm daydreaming. And others will say, well, I just can't focus. So when I'm talking to the girls about anxiety and depression, I will always talk about school as well. And then, When I figure out that we're having issues at school, then I then go back to the parents and I say, how does she do at home? How many times can you tell her to go do three things? Can you tell her to go to your room, get your pink hat, your yellow fluffy shoes, and and your handbag? And will she come back with all three? And they'll laugh and they'll be like, absolutely not. She might actually get up there and forget what she went up there to do. And so then I would be like, okay. We will evaluate this anxiety depression thing, but we also have to have a conversation about potential ADHD. Now the problem then comes because we have these skills that we'll give to the parents and we'll also give to the teachers. The parents will fill it out. The teachers will fill it out and there'll be no symptoms on it. And the reason why the teachers fill it out with no symptoms because the kids, the girls are just sitting there, as nice as nice can be. They're very pleasant. They're just they're just there. You know, they're not causing any trouble. So uh, they don't see all the things that supposedly um, everyone is looking for, which is the hyperactivity or the blotting out of things in class or you know, mm-hmm. losing stuff. They're just they're just very nice kids. So when I get that, so I'll get a discrepant um, skill from the teacher versus the story the kid has told me versus what the parents are saying. So When I have that, then I have to send those girls to actually a psychologist for a formal evaluation. But that's the problem. The problem is usually that because they're inattentive, they will talk with their friends. But, you know, if they have anxiety with it, they won't talk in class because they don't want the attention on themselves. So it becomes tricky to to catch the girls. Now, the moms, sometimes I'm talking to the moms about their child, their son's hyperactivity and stuff. And then I'm trying to explain what ADHD is. And I see a light go up in their eyes and they're like, that sounds like me when I was a kid.
1: And I still do that (laughs) now.
0: And so these days I I have the adult self-reporting skill in my office. I'll just pull that out and have them fill it out. And they fill it out and it shows me that they have symptoms. I'm like, you probably have this, depends on how badly it affects you. You may want to talk to your doctor about this, and
1: I'll hand it to them and send them on their way. So it almost sounds like it's the list of symptoms in the DSM that's the problem for girls and women.
0: Ah, uh, yes and no, because we don't. They're, they're, I mean, with the girls, even the girls don't even know that they have. They're not even. They've done this all their lives. They've daydreamed all their lives. They don't know that it's not normal. Mm-hmm for your mind Mm -hmm. to flit from subject to subject to subject while you're supposed to be paying attention to this one boring subject that you can't pay attention to in class. So um, the thing that catches my attention or that I I usually will look for is a discrepancy between the level of intelligence when I'm talking to the kid and how badly they're doing at school.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Because
0: if there's a discrepancy, which I would say was pretty much my situation too, because I would say that I, I didn't, I didn't do tests well at all. And even now when, because we have to do continuing uh, uh, medical education, when I have to sit down and do a test, I feel myself hyperventilating sometimes just, and then I tell myself, you know, you're a grown person, stop it. (laughs)
1: It's not so bad. Well, yeah, it's probably the trauma, right? I mean, Granted, it's not big T trauma, but you can imagine if every single time you had to sit in an exam from the time you were little and you had this anxiety, like you knew you're smart, right? Or you right. know you're smart, but you can't show your intelligence the way they want you to show your intelligence.
0: Exactly. I like the way you put it. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Right.
1: But then I think part of it is that the teachers don't know what they're looking for and the way their testing scales, are I don't know what you call that, but you know what the teachers fill out, the questions that they ask, well, how do they know what that child is thinking, right? Especially the girls, because they're not climbing up the walls and they're uh-huh. masking and, you know, its it, it's no wonder that it comes out as anxiety and depression. I mean- Man, if you know well, how the, smart the, yeah, you the,
0: are, the, yeah. the, the kids just the, the girls, especially they just they just become very anxious and and depressed mm-hmm. because they think that, they just know that something is off. Yeah. I, I'm trying, and then you know I'm trying to do well, and then sometimes it's really really genuine because about sixty percent of people with with uh, ADHD will also have um, anxiety or depression. And, you know, mm-hmm. you look at the family and that's, that's true, too. So they feel, you know, the ADHD makes them feel I- inadequate. And then their anxieties, especially when they have social anxiety, makes them feel like they need to be invisible. So it's really difficult um, when you're trying to diagnose a girl.
1: Okay. So what about women? I know that's a, a big subject that, you know, you, you love to research and talk about. So I know that the DSM-5 says that symptoms have to be present in childhood, yet often ADHD symptoms seem like they don't show up until adulthood. Do you have any thoughts on that?
0: Truthfully, I would say that, um, yeah, I know the dsm um says, says, says so, however, um, there are some some of what I would call adult onset um, ADHD, which may be due to, um, because anxiety also can present as inattention. So that's something sure. else to to have, you know, take into consideration. So one has to kind of tease those things out. However, if it's true ADHD, even when you're old, you can look back into your life And there are specific things that you would know and remember that did not work out for you. Like, for instance, as we know from from your podcast, every time I listen to your podcast, I'm always amazed at the different numbers of careers that each of these women have had. (laughs) Start out, I'm a waitress, then I'm a teacher, then I'm over here, um, (laughs) you know, so when you when you look at the fact that they go where their interest takes them and they're constantly moving or they're constantly changing jobs, and the reason why they're changing jobs is because nobody can get along with them that would, that's what they will tell you, not that they are the ones verbally um shooting themselves in the foot because they're so impulsive or they make money and they fritter the money away because they're impulsive spenders. If you actually go back and ask specific stories, how do you do with money? Um, how do you do with, um, relationships? Um, how many jobs have you Mm. had? Um, those kind of things will actually open your eyes too. And then how did you do in school? A lot of my parents will initially fudge about how they did in school, but I would press on them and say, does your mom have your report cards? You may want to go home and look at your report cards and see see what it is. Now, the more open parents that I have um, will be like, oh, my God, I got into trouble because I talked all day long. So that will kind of give you an idea that that person may not have had symptoms until they, they went to college because the guardrails were removed. Mom's no longer there to remind you to do all the things that you're supposed to do. Yep. Um and, and stay on you. And so those guardrails are gone. But if we go back and we go back to look at what you did, if your mom was not reminding you about your homework, then that homework didn't get done. If we look at your report card, they'll be like, X, Y, Z is a pleasure to have in class. However, she talks excessively.
1: <laughs> the one <laughs> I <know>. had. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, yeah, there, there's the history. The history is there and history doesn't go away. So if it's a real adhd there, there'll be a history and, and it, it takes talking to them. However, the way we practice medicine in this country um, precludes stuff like that. I'm expected to be in and out of a room in 15 minutes and I'm supposed to have figured out what's wrong with that kid in that period of time. And that, that does not, I can't sit down and start doing a good family history to figure out whether mom or grandma had this kind of issues. If I have 15 minutes,
1: 15 minutes doesn't cut it. It's insanity. So, so what do you do in those situations? Do you just make a second appointment and you just want to see them at different times? I get
0: into trouble. That's what I do. Because <laughs> oh, good trouble, all right. <laughs> good trouble because, um, yeah. because and I think I get into trouble not because I want to get into trouble, because we're talking about that hyper focus thing that comes in again. I'm solving a puzzle and I'm halfway there and I'm totally focused. I've forgotten what the time is, so my staff actually has to come and send me a a note in in the computer telling me, hey, hey, you're running behind. So a lot of times I get stuck like that. Other times, yeah, I will give them the paperwork and tell them to go home and tell them to go ask their parents and at the second visit, give me those answers.
1: You know, that's fascinating to me. Just those two words that you just used, solving a puzzle. And that is exactly what I think really good doctors do. (laughs) Despite- (laughs) All the constructs around medicine, right? Because it makes that so impossible. It's not integrative. And I, I love that. I love those two words, solving a puzzle. Yeah, it's a puzzle. Okay, so tell me about hormones and ADHD and women. Any thoughts around that? Yeah, I do. <laughs> now, here's the interesting thing a decrease in
0: estrogens will mess with your attention span. We already know yep. that. And mm-hmm. we also know that um, for a woman who is having active cycles, her estrogen levels will rise and fall during that cycle. And mm-hmm. now we know that there are some women who have paid attention and now know that at some point in their cycles, like going towards the the periods, that they, uh, their attention span is lower and they're actually irritable. So it stands to reason that if you have ADHD and which already, you know, uh, messes with your attention and you have cycles, if you have fluctuating periods of attention, of inattention or fluctuating periods of attention, for me, it makes a lot of sense that women like that should um, try and especially if you're a CEO or, you know, an administrator, you will probably want to schedule your appointments according to how your attention is going to be. Yeah. And so for all the people who are out there looking, and then, of course, like I think, like you said, the people who are going to have to do this studies are going to then have to be women because obviously the guys are kind of like, whatever. <laughs> The guys are not exactly. necessarily are not necessarily invest you know invested in trying to figure out how estrogens um really do affect
1: our attention and that's what's so insane to me is the fact that you know it's just And no studies really take women into account. Very few studies take women into account when it comes to health because of the fact that, oh, those pesky hormones, it's too expensive to do studies and deal with that, right? Well, I don't know that it is that. I believe that, um, number one, I don't think,
0: I think we women and the world in general, culturally, we kind of just um, take women for granted, We just—they're just—they're just just there. They're—they're—they're there. They're strong. They're dependable. They're okay, and so nobody really thinks that you know. Well, maybe women are not just you know. Maybe yeah, we're stoic, but maybe we do need some help too, Um, and that's why I said I think. This particular kind of studies that we're talking about are definitely going to have to be done by women, um, women with ADHD that have to, you know, that are trying to prove something. Otherwise, it it, it will never get done.
1: Well, and I think the default when it comes to most anything in this world is always men. So the assumption is that, well, if this particular medication works for men and their heart issues, of course, it's going to work for women women? because, you know, we're the same and we're not the same. (laughs) No, we're not the
0: same. We're definitely oh. not the same. Now, the other thing that I, I also um wonder because once again there are no no real studies about this is just like we figured out that um, some girls become extremely inattentive when they start having um, periods. It's also the same with some boys. Some boys start becoming inattentive too, as they during puberty. Pu- yeah, as they hit mean? yes, as they hit puberty, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, as they hit puberty, I've had a couple of kids in, in my practice and me and my, my nurse practitioner, we've actually thought to ourselves that we wonder if, if that is a thing or whether, you know, this kid just did well um, and was able to escape it. And then as things got more and more difficult, then now we're picking up on it. But I wonder about the boys as well. I wonder about the guys as well.
1: Well, and think about it too. I mean, when does the oppositional behavior normally really show up, it makes sense. So Grace, what do you think the key to living successfully with ADHD is?
0: Well, I think the key to living successfully with it is embracing yourself, you know, accepting the fact that this is who you are. Your brain does not work like everybody else's brain. And so, do not expect it to work like everybody else. I think once you come to that realization that your brain is very different from everybody else's brain, and it's it's a special kind of brain. It's I call it like a, I, I'll borrow something from Instagram, a Ferrari brain, and like a like a really cool, high, high, you know, motorized brain, <laughs> a problem solving brain. So once you realize that that your brain does what it wants to do. And there's nothing really wrong with you you're just you just match to the sound of a different beat then then you accept yourself. so if you can accept yourself and stop trying to be what everybody else thinks that you need to be, then you will be fine and then, in doing that, if you then figure out what your strengths are and you know, amplify those strengths. And then, you know, you can, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You can have other people do all the other things that you don't care for. Um, Yeah, then life will be good. Like, for instance, I am not good at, I won't say I'm not good, because I I would be good if I wanted to, but I don't care about house cleaning. (laughs) Yes, I don't care about house cleaning. So I have a housekeeper. And, uh, and I think the day I discovered that, you know, I could actually have a housekeeper and not, not have to stress about, you know, mopping the floor was one of the best days of my life because I hated doing that stuff. So it's like that. Um, so the minute you figure out the things that you're strong at and amplify those things and work at those things, and then figure out the other things that you're not necessarily good at and decide whether or not you want to be good at them, but don't beat yourself up if you're not. The big thing is the mental beating up because we just sit down and think to ourselves, that person looks so put together. That person's house looks really well organized. Why can't my house be that organized? This person is able to do A, B, and C, and D. Why can't I do that? And then I start telling myself that there must be something wrong with me. There's absolutely nothing wrong with me. I just happen to do things differently. There are going to be some things that I can do and I can do exceedingly well that those people cannot do. So I just need to like accept myself and, um, accept myself for who I am and embrace the fact that I, that my brain thinks differently. And that's just it.
1: I love it. I love it. Do you have a number one ADHD workaround?
0: Okay. So I knew you were going to ask me that. And I don't think I have one. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I have one. I have like little Little things that I do, um, um, like for instance, um, I'm very thankful for all this um, keyless cars. So my key, my key fob is always in my bag. I never take it out. So that way I'm not looking for my keys in the morning. I count. I like to do one, two, three, four, fives. I, I count things that I do like in the morning, get up in the morning, brush my teeth, uh, take a shower, put on my clothes, you know, counting fives like that.
1: Um, mm-hmm.
0: Or if I'm traveling, so you don't miss anything. So I don't miss anything exactly. Or if I'm traveling, I count how many pieces of baggage I have, so that every time I get up to go, I'm like, one, two, three, four, five, or one, two, three. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't lose stuff. So little bitty things like that. But I don't. I don't know. I don't do a lot of uh, technology, uh, you know, because the other thing about my me, and I think this is the inattentive part of me, is that when there are too many steps. To getting stuff done, then, uh, then, then I get lost. I just get muddled. So I just like to keep it simple. I like notepads and <laughs> list writing. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I can't do the. Um, I, I also like my phone, um, the calendar on my phone. I put all my appointments in the calendar in my phone, and then I have um, uh, alarms to remind me. Otherwise, I'll never remember to get to to, to those appointments. But those kind of little things, but all the high-tech things that um, other people talk about, I'm like, uh, I think about it. There are too many steps. I can't do that. So once again, well, and it's and that not might important. be it's knowing what it is you can do.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I was just going to say that might be your number one ADHD workaround, right? Just figuring out what works for you and keeping it simple. simple. Uh Yeah. Yeah. So are you working on something that you want to tell us about? Yeah.
0: Um, I am working on a couple of things. I think my current mission, um, is to create awareness around ADHD and um, help to destigmatize the ADHD diagnosis. A lot of people seem to think that it's a bad diagnosis to have. I actually think it's only the the, the blessed few that actually have it. And I think I'm one of them. I agree. <laughs> so I don't. I don't. I don't look at it as as a. Um, a detraction or something that is bad to have, I actually think that if you know and you understand it and you can make it work for you, you'll be fantastic. Um, the world needs ADHDers because these these are the people who are the creators. They are the innovators. They are the inventors of the world in which we live. So I think we all need to step up and claim our dazzling brilliance. <laughs> I love it. So... Um, so in doing that, you know, like I I started um an Instagram page where I put out information about ADHD and and information about it. I tried to make it fun. So I have my Instagram page at Thrive with Doctor Grace. Um and that's on Instagram. And then I also have a website, ThriveWithDrGrace.com, dot com. And I also would do consultations, um, not with the purpose of giving medication, but with the purpose of giving advice on whether or not you have it, because some people think they have it and they don't, giving advice on whether or not you have ADHD, and then having giving your framework for how to speak with your doctor, speak with your family or your friends about your diagnosis and um, help you, helping you own it. I have toyed with the idea of being an ADHD coach. I'm still twiddling with that. But I think that would be
1: the next place for me to go with that. But that's, that's, that that's, is, that's where I'm at. That's amazing. So because you'd be offering consultation, you can do that anywhere in the country and anywhere in the world, correct? Yes, correct. I can. Oh, my gosh. I love that. So they have someone who's educated to go to that can help them then prepare for that big meeting with their ADHD, you know, um, professionals in their area. Yes. Okay. And they can find you, um, all of your socials, your website, everything is at thrive with Dr. Grace, correct? Yes, correct. Correct. Wonderful. Well, all of this is going to be in the show notes. Grace, thank you so much for spending time with us here today. I really appreciate it.
0: No, Tracy, thank you very, very much. Thank you so much for all of what you do, because this is amazing. This is great stuff for those of us with ADHD that, you know, would be lost without it. So really, really appreciate you. Oh,
1: well, I appreciate you. <laughs> so... That's what I have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Dr. Grace Esan, did I say it right? Yes, you did. Asan.: Okay. <laughs> please, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. And your reviews, they really help in that regard. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. Come join me over at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smart Ass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smart ass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.